Welcome back to the Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Edwin Porras, Doctor of Physical Therapy, Medical Analyst at FantasyPoints.com. Gracias por tus oídos. Today, I want to get a little bit into, not a lot, a little bit, a lot of it, into the article that I just published at FantasyPoints.com called Injury Prone is a Lie. I'm going to talk about part one. We started saying injury prone is a lie a long time ago, um, as in, you know, two years ago, so really not that long ago. But I think a lot of people mis- maybe misrepresent or misinterpret what I'm trying to say. So I basically wrote this piece discussing what I mean when it comes to fantasy football, why injury prone is a lie. Typically, this is directed towards non-healthcare providers, people who don't have healthcare experience, who are just sort of throwing the term around. So that's, I think, a super important point to take into consideration when you're reading this, when you're listening to this. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through a few of the highlights of this article that I think are the most actionable from a fantasy football perspective. But like I say in the article, and like I said, if you want to catch the whole thing, you can read the whole thing. You don't even need an account over at fantasypoints.com for part one. But it's important to say what I'm not saying, I think. It's important to understand what I'm not trying to say when I say that injury prone is a lie. And I think the very first issue that people take with me saying this is that they interpret it as me saying ex- patterns don't exist. Exceptions don't exist when they do. Ex- exceptions exist all the time, which is the, in- the exact opposite of what I'm trying to say. When it comes to things like limited ankle uh, motion or hip strength, you think of Jerry Judy. He's got a nasty knee valgus, right? His knee bends and rotates in at the most in the most weird ways. Um, a lot of times, you know, research will tell you, you know, in some instances, that means he is susceptible to ACL tears. But we haven't seen that yet. Now, why haven't we seen him tear an ACL? Because that research isn't predictable. It's more of a correlation. It's it's not ironclad. I mean, a lot of times the populations that they use to study these things are so heter- what's called heterogeneous. In other words, they're so different. The population is not something that you can generalize. Uh, even if in ath- athletic populations, you can't generalize that stuff. So it's just not a good foundation to, to begin from when you're thinking about how you're going to label a player because they have specific deficits like ankle limited ankle mobility or limited hip strength, right? You also have to think about it from a big picture thing, big picture perspective. There's this thing called the functional movement screen, the FMS. In its early days, they really touted that if you've had a higher score on the FMS, then you'd have a sort of lower propensity to become injured. That's that that's proven to be not not the case, right? And even if say LeBron James had a low FMS score, would you really change anything that he's been doing, you know, at age 35, 36, whatever he is now, still at the top of his game? No, you wouldn't change it. But when it comes to exceptions, I think people really get caught up in using players like James Conner or Frank Gore as sort of the rule and not the exception. Now, you can't use Frank Gore as an example of a player uh, who you think is, you know, not going to get hurt ever. You also can't use James Conner as your poster child. Those are sort of the extreme ends of the spectrum when it comes to trying to draw comparisons. Those are just impossible situations to really discuss and apply uh, on a a greater level. You can't apply those principles the same way you can't apply injury prediction research because they are just not the same thing. It's it's apples, oranges. By the way, I hate that phrase because why can't you compare two pieces of fruit, right? I don't understand that. Anyway, this applies to players like Tevin Coleman and John Brown, too, who have the sickle cell trait. In theory, they have slower tissue healing times, but you just haven't seen that out of them. I mean, maybe a little bit, but you haven't really seen it manifest in more injuries. 
So here's the actionable point, though. Here's the action point that I really want to talk about when it, in this article that I mentioned. If we know there are genetic variations of a player, if that's public information, if we know, hey, you know, Tylen Wallace has limited ankle range of motion or... I don't know, Zach Wilson has limited hip strength. Does that change what you're going to do from a fantasy football perspective? No, at least it shouldn't, right? Because I just discussed the research is flimsy. So that's the first point that I wanted to make. Exceptions do exist. There are patterns that we look at as healthcare providers when it comes to helping these players get to the, you know, their basic, basically their best form. But when it comes to fantasy football, it's just, it's just impossible to use as a predictive variable. So I just want to discuss and, and I wanted to mention that I know exceptions exist. There are players who are injured more often than others, but a lot of times it comes in shades and gray and players like Frank Gore and James Conner are the exception, not the rule. Point two that I try to make of what I'm not saying in this article is that injury histories are irrelevant. That's, that's also the exact opposite of what I'm saying. Injury histories are the best tool we have as fantasy football managers to make decisions on draft day, to make decisions during transactions, and to just generally be more aware of the players that you're taking onto your roster. Carson Wentz is the perfect example that I wrote about just last summer. Obviously, he's been garbage and trash, and they pulled him for a good reason, um, and now he's going to Indy, so whatever, good for Carson Wentz, but he stayed healthy. He got slapped with injury prone because he broke a wrist towards ACL, got a concussion, and had back issues, right? Those are all totally unrelated to future injury. I mean, sure, a little bit of an impact there, but it's not something that's going to be what, what we would call clinically relevant, clinically uh, significant. It's not going to impact how you make your decisions during draft day. You know, when it comes to player injuries, what does matter? Well, that's really the the secret sauce, isn't it? I mean, that's really what we're here to discuss. Um, and when it comes to what matters when it comes to injury histories, you just have to understand that more specifically, players who miss about three games in their college career are more likely to be drafted and less likely to have future injuries down the road. Okay, that's the takeaway. But you have to apply context. You have to understand what those injuries are. Because in the, in the case of Carson Wentz, if you were coming out, I would say these injuries matter, but they probably won't follow him. And I think we'll see that the rest of his career, that these specific injuries when it comes to Carson Wentz won't follow him because they're just not correlated. Uh, it's also sort of injury histories have gone the other way. Um, people think probably put too much stock into the recent injuries that players might have and they've, they've started discussing you know compensation injuries quote-unquote compensation injuries listen man compensation compensation injuries happen on a chronic level we're talking weeks months years of patients for example who have left hip pain and then get right knee pain and this is over a long period of time there's no real substantial data showing that an athlete with an ankle sprain wakes up one day and has lumbar pain low back pain because of the ankle sprain. That's just not how this works, right? I mean, I, I don't even want to spend too much time on this because just understand, there's not a true compensation injury that you need to worry about as a fantasy football uh, manager. Now, here's what you do consider. Michael Thomas getting an, a hamstring strain after having a high ankle sprain. This falls perfectly and neatly under the work done by a lot of really smart people who have discussed what workloads do and altered workloads do uh, to a player's injury risk. Tim Gabbett has done a ton of work showing 
that if you spike or dip when it comes to physical workloads, it's working out, games, practice, whatever, players are about three to six times more likely to have a soft tissue injury. Your body goes out of whack, doesn't know what's going on. It's not, you're not given its consistent amount of work that it's used to. Things go a little haywire. Another example that everybody wants to talk about is Christian McCaffrey, right? So he had the high ankle sprain, was out, came back, got the AC sprain, was out. After that, had quad strain. Why is that? Well, because over the last two or three years, Christian McCaffrey's body had adapted to being a workhorse with the same amount of work in the offseason, same amount of work in the preseason, and didn't have very many injuries to begin with. Then he got an injury, went to rehab, came back to practice, went to a game, went back to rehab. These are massive changes and alterations in workloads. That is when you need to worry. You don't need to worry about compensation injuries. But if you have a dude whose workloads are up and down and up and down, that's when you begin to look at soft tissue issues. But it's also the same reason why I don't think it's going to follow him into 2021, and I'm not concerned about Christian McCaffrey. He he was given the he was handed the absolute worst card in 2021, and I think he's going to be healthy moving forward. Right. So the takeaway with this point that I'm not making again, the point I'm not making that injury histories are irrelevant. That's not what I'm saying. Is this? I'll just read it straight from the article. Injury histories matter, but the trick is understanding when it matters and to what extent. Sitting at a computer day on draft day, the best way to know when an injury history matters is to follow an injury analyst you trust. And then I winked at you virtually. So I'll end this gloom and doom segment discussing why injury histories matter and when they matter by listing a few players that I'm actually not concerned of as of today. This is, you know, going to take a little bit of more research and time is going to be a little more important to monitor. But as of today, I'm not as concerned as most when it comes to Debo Samuel, Evan Ingram, Michael Thomas, Saquon Barkley, Deontay Johnson, or Paris Campbell. Do I still have your attention? Because this is probably the most important part of the article, the most actionable part of the article that is over at fantasypoints.com. This one's a lot easier to comprehend. It's a lot more straightforward. Know which injuries are the most detrimental to a player's performance. I am not saying that injuries don't impact a player's performance. I'm going to repeat that. I am not saying injuries don't impact performance because they do. You can read more detail about it in the article. Here are the three primary rules when it comes to long-term, either big or chronic injury, long-term or big severe injury. Here are three rules you're going to want to follow when it comes to selecting players in your drafts targeting them on the waiver wire, or targeting them through trades. Number one, younger than or 24 years old. 24 years old or younger, typically younger athletes have a much easier time returning to previous levels of performance. Number two, NFL draft capital in the fourth round or higher. Usually the higher, the better. Again, more details are in the article, but basically they have a longer leash with the front office. Coaching staffs are invested in them and they're just going to get more opportunity in general because they tend to be better athletes. Point number three, studies indicating the injury is not catastrophic like tendon ruptures are typically favorable for players to return from. So if they're younger than 24, they have fourth round NFL draft capital or higher 
and there are no studies showing that the injury this sustained is catastrophic, they probably have a pretty good chance of returning from a pretty big injury, and they probably are going to return at the same level that they previously were. It doesn't mean that if they don't fit a a couple of these that they can't, but the chances are much higher for them to be successful and perform at the previous level that they were at if they meet all three of those. It's the same reason why Saquon Barkley, I think, is going to be healthy. He's going to be a top five running back in 2021, barring any more catastrophic injuries. And it's the same reason why Marlon Mack is probably never going to be fantasy relevant again. He's, he's about a fourth round draft pick. He is, I think, about 24 years old. But he's just not in the same position because his injury was catastrophic. So here are a few injuries specifically, that I am the most concerned about when I see on a player's history in order from the most concerning to the least concerning. Patellar tendon or ligament and Achilles ruptures for the rest of their career. Two or more concussions in less than a two-year period for the rest of their career. A Lisfranc sprain or surgery for the first year after surgery. An ACL meniscus and MCL their first year back and the rest of their career unless they're quarterbacks more than two knee scopes for the rest of their career shoulder dislocations or subluxations for the first year without surgery and the rest of their careers and lastly high ankle sprains for the rest of the season here's the bottom line on this specific topic all injuries are not created equally and some players are more likely to bounce back than others generally speaking Tendon tears and concussions will impact most players across board equally. After that, look to take advantage of your league mates who fade young players with high draft capital and relatively benign injury histories. Now let's get into what I am saying. I'll speed this up a little. This is a part where I get a little... Why is injury prone a lie? Because 2.3% of games are considered injury-free. No, not considered. They are 2.3% injury-free. NFL games are everybody's injured literally okay there are 2.3 percent of recorded games over a five-year period that have gone injury free and guess what in those 2.3 percent of games you really don't think that a guy broke his finger dislocated his finger and put it back you don't think somebody saw stars and didn't tell coach or the trainers does that really happen probably not if you fade a player if you fade drafting them if you fade trading for them because they have an acl tear a ruptured kidney, and a collarbone fracture over the last two years? It's self-sabotage if you don't do more research on that because you would have faded Keenan Allen. Another narrative that I tend to fade is the BMI and style of play narratives because they don't matter. If a running back, based on a 10-year study, by the way, meets the 29 to 32 kilograms per meter squared threshold in the NFL... That's between the height of 5'8 and 6'1, or 207 and 243 pounds. They're likely going to be okay because this study found that there was no difference in injuries or games missed when it comes to players who are in this range. If they meet the threshold to be an NFL running back, they're probably going to be healthy. And that doesn't tell you anything about their performance in particular. It just tells you they're probably going to stay healthy. So if you see a player, who is between the ranges of 29 and 32 in a BMI, they're probably not going to miss any more games than their counterparts. The style of play narrative is really the one that gets under my skin more, though, 
George Kittle is the person who gets assigned this, even though two of the three major injuries that he's had in his career happened while he was a defenseless receiver. What does that have to do with his style of play? What matters more is positional demands when it comes to predicting or projecting injuries. Running backs are more common to have ankle injuries, hamstring injuries, and shoulder injuries. Meanwhile, wide receivers and pass catchers are actually more susceptible to ACL tears, hamstring strains, and concussions. So when you are drafting a tight end or a wide receiver, keep those things in mind. In fact, from 2016 to 2019, when you average it out for three wide receiver sets and a two running back set, you get about a 7% missed game rate for running backs and about an 8% missed game rate for wide receivers. Okay, I got that one got a little fiery, so let me just read the bottom line from the article again. There's no real way to quantify style of play as it relates to injury risk. It's purely a narrative. If a player reaches the threshold for BMI at their respective position, there's no reason to be concerned about their health. This last point I want to make before the summary is that every player is going to get injured at some point. You have to keep the proper context. As my buddy Jeff Mueller will say on Twitter, I don't know if I said his last name right, but I hope I did. He's a physical therapist as well. Not every situation is the same. Every situation is unique. That's why players like DJ Chark, who have a history of ankle sprains, need to be monitored before 2021. And it's the same reason why Jalen Rigor and Dalvin Cook need to be monitored before 2021. It's also the same reason, though, why I'm not concerned about Deontay Johnson. And I'm not concerned, really, about Calvin Ridley or Joe Mixon. The last thing I want to say before I get into the part two stuff, give a summary and get out of here, is I want to give a little teaser for part two. Here are some players that are in my pseudo model, quote unquote model, who were in my red light tier in 2020. Some of these are more obvious than others. Of course, they weren't on your team. I get it. You faded them. But some players didn't. I got into some heated debates on Twitter with some of these players that I was fading in 2020 for this exact reason. So I plugged this into my model that I'll introduce in part two. I plugged these players in, and here are some players that I was concerned about in 2020. Again, some of these were easy. Some of them were no-brainers. Others, not so much. Sammy Watkins. AJ Green, which led to more Tyler Boyd. T.Y. Hilton, Deshaun Jackson. Alshon Jeffrey, Julian Edelman, Mark Ingram, which led to more J.K. Dobbins. James Conner, Rashad Penny, which led to me currently acquiring right now at a discount. Todd Gurley, which led to an early dismissal from my bench almost before 2019. Carryon Johnson, which led to more DeAndre Swift. Evan Ingram, which means I'm currently acquiring him now at a discount. Zach Ertz, which led to more Dallas Goddard. Rob Gronkowski. Here are a couple guys that ended up sort of being chalky. I say they were chalky because they were in my red light tier after being plugged into the model, but they were injured for reasons that I wasn't necessarily considering, so that doesn't really count as a win. John Brown, Paris Campbell. In full transparency, here are a few that my model didn't like, but ended up being fine. Sterling Shepard, Brandon Cooks, Anthony Miller, Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook was the hardest to fade and arguably didn't work out, but the process was still 100% accurate. Those dislocations are not something to ignore. Jared Cook and TJ Hawkinson. Given the landscape of tight ends, the Hawkinson fade was probably wrong in full in full transparency, but those are some players that didn't like my model, or my model didn't like them, therefore I faded them. Here's a summary at the end of this Injury Prone is a Lie Part 1. Number 1. Injury prediction is impossible and the data is not actionable. Instead, stay curious, be on the lookout for, to exploit league mates who are quick to write off a player due to injury concerns. Number 2. Injury history is king. Stay curious and ask yourself, or injury analysts, what a specific injury situation implicates. There's a massive edge to be had to understand the ceiling and the floor of a player due to injury or performance. Specifically, keep in mind these general rules. 
A, the player must be younger than or 24 years old. NFL draft capital in the fourth round or higher. The higher, the better. And studies indicating that a return to previous levels of play are equal to or greater than 50% for that specific injury. Previous injuries automatically increase a player's future re-injury risk for that specific issue, not some random, unrelated ailment. Avoid narratives like style of play and BMI, as they're the most discrete version of injury-prone, quote-unquote injury-prone. Remember that staying healthy in the NFL is a mirage. It's rare, and eventually most players are hurt. Keep the proper context and a level head while evaluating rookies and veterans alike. So I hope that was actionable. I hope that's something you'll take into consideration when saying the phrase injury prone. At the very least, I hope you walk away from this saying, wow, there are a lot more factors that I considered that I didn't consider previously while I was using the phrase injury prone. So this is, I want this to be the evergreen podcast you point to when somebody says injury prone. And you can look to them and you can say injury prone is a lie. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions, concerns, disagreements, at FBInjury.com on Twitter, hit me up. Go to fantasypoints.com. This is a completely free article. There are a lot more details in there with citations for the data if you're curious. Thanks again. I'll see you for part two.